following message from Pastor Kit Johnson comes to you from Life Point Baptist Church in Apple Valley, California, where we pray that God's Word is a real blessing to you. Romans 11. Romans 11. And uh, continue our series through the book of Romans this morning. And uh, we're going to be looking at verses 11 through 16 uh, here in a bit. Um, but uh, before we do, how many of you enjoy puzzles? That puzzle, we've got a few puzzle people out there. Some of you ter- hate puzzles. You know, there's probably differing opinions. Well, a few year, a couple years ago, uh, my brother uh, got me a puzzle for Christmas. And, uh, and this puzzle, it consumed our evenings for a couple of weeks. And uh, that's because this puzzle was, was unusually complicated. Every, every piece of this puzzle was textured. And so, if you held it one way, a puzzle piece would look brown. You tilted a little bit different, it looked tan. And then you tilted another way, and it would look green. And then, if you tilted it one way, there was a line through the left side of the piece, tilted a little different, the line went through the right side of the piece, tilted a little more, and the line disappeared altogether. And so, we dumped out all the pieces to this puzzle, and started trying to figure out what to do with it, and, and you looked at these, five, I think it was a 500-piece puzzle, not a massive one, but you look at all these pieces of the puzzle, and it was overwhelming. Like, how in the world can all this turn into anything? You know, it just looks like a whole bunch of little pieces of nothing and meaninglessness, and you know, kind of like a, a postmodern nightmare of, of evolving, you know, shape-shifting truth. So, what are we going to do with this? Well, Heidi and I plugged away and, you know, we spent a lot of time like over the card table, like, you know, kind of like, because if you'd moved, you know, like the pieces, like everything would move. So you kind of like do this and then pick up a piece and kind of move with it and figure out where it'd go. And we plugged away at this thing. And after a couple weeks working on it, it slowly came together. And at the end, we had a, a really cool image. And I didn't put the image on the screen or anything today, but, um, but it all worked out. And there was this beautiful, really cool, really cool detailed image that ultimately emerged. I think a a puzzle is a wonderful experience of how we experience God's plan. And today's puzzle piece can vary from a, a wonderful blessing to a devastating trial to just another boring day. And and by itself, that piece might seem random and meaningless. But over time, as God begins to put the puzzle pieces together, a, 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 detail, a pattern emerges and, and you begin to see that, that God's purpose is good and beautiful. So, so don't despair if today's peace seems difficult and hard. You know, don't despair if, if it feels meaningless or random. God has a good purpose in, in every piece of His puzzle. He is sovereign. He is in control of everything that takes place. And He is perfectly fitting together every piece of our lives to accomplish His beautiful, good, wonderful will. And similarly, Romans chapters 9-11 through tell us that the first century church was confused by by the puzzle pieces that were around them. And, And especially we've seen, what is God doing among the Jews? So we've seen in these chapters that that very few of the Jews in Paul's day were accepting Jesus as the Messiah. And, And so... 
the, 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 the church was looking at this and, and just trying to understand what in the world is going on. Are we doing something wrong? Is that why they're not getting saved? Or, or is it that something is wrong with the gospel? They're looking at this puzzle piece and they can't understand what it is. They want to know the big picture so that they can understand their lives today. And, and the, really, the goal of Romans chapter 11 is to explain how all this puzzle, how these puzzle pieces of God's purpose fit together. And it tells us that there is no such thing as chaos or random in the plan of God. Whether it is for the Romans or for the church at large, or for your life as well. And specifically, Paul explains that the Jewish apostasy was part of God's broader, beautiful, good plan for all of history to glorify Himself and to save many. And today's text is going to push forward that agenda. So, so Romans chapter 11, verse 11 says, I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? Speaking of the Jews, may it never be. But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. Now, if their transgression is riches for the world, and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? But I am speaking to you who are Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle of Gentiles. I magnify my ministry. If somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the first piece of dough is holy, the lump is also. And if the root is holy, the branches are too. So, so again, these, these verses, the, the, the basic purpose of these verses is to explain what God is doing right now in the church age. And, and how what is happening today in the church age, how, how it fits within God's overall purpose for all of history. How, how God is moving the world toward His appointed end. And, and so Paul, uh, first of all, in verses 11 and 12, tells us that God has a plan for the ages. Now, now I want to emphasize, what I really want to emphasize there is that God does have a plan. He is at work. I want to emphasize that because it's very easy for Christians to be consumed by what you see on the evening news or wherever it is that you get your news. As if what the news is reporting is what's really happening in the world. But you know what? ABC, CNN, NBC, Fox, whatever news source that you go to, they are not reporting on the most important news in the world. Because the most important thing that's happening in our world today is, is not the things on the news. It is what God is doing to take the gospel to the nations. The work of Christ is the most important news. So don't look at the world through the lens of the news. Look at the world through the lens of, of, of what God is saying in this chapter and about what God is doing in the world as a whole. And our passage gets right to the point by asking another very important question about the nation of Israel. So again, verse 11, he asks, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? So, so again, why is Paul asking that question? Well, he's asking that question because in, in verses 8 through 10, he just talked about the, the Jewish apostasy and, and how they had become hardened to the gospel. So he says, for example, in verse 8, 
that they are drunk spiritually. It's not a good image, is it? He talks about how they have become trapped and snared and and how they have become hardened in sin. And frankly, the spiritual condition of the Jewish people has not gotten any better in the last 2,000 years. I remember when I was in college, one of my, one of my friends uh, did an internship in New York City. He did a whole summer of Jewish evangelism in New York City. And, and, and he came back to, to school after, after the semester and, and he said, Kit, it was, I felt like I was in the book of Acts. Because we'd go into these you know, Jewish boroughs and, and we'd share the gospel and they were hostile. Sometimes close to violent in their resistance to the gospel being shared in their communities. The Jewish people have not become any more receptive to Christ. So so we might ask the same question that Paul asks. Has Israel not just stumbled spiritually? But have they fallen so flat on their face that the Jewish people are dead to God's purpose forever and ever? Has God abandoned His chosen people. And if so, where it becomes relevant to us is has God broken His promise? Has God, is not, God not going to do what He told Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and, and Moses and others that He was going to accomplish? And similarly, we oftentimes wonder what in the world is God doing? Like you turn on the news and like, where, where is this going? Where is history moving? How is all this going to turn out? And then what is my role in the process? Now now you have to ask those questions if you want to make an impact for Christ. It's important to remember that that God hasn't left you on this earth to to chase your pleasures and to, to have a success and to feel safe. No, we are here to glorify God by partnering in His mission. So, so, so we might again, you know, as we talked about last week, we might look at this chapter and think, that has no bearing on my life. I don't care what happens to the Jews. You should. But even if you don't, that there's something bigger going on here that, that is very relevant to all of us. What is God doing in the world? And Paul first answers, as he has done uh, several times before in Romans, by saying, may it never be. Now, now why does he say that? Because... Uh, again, if, if God is going to break His promise to Israel, then, then that isn't just about Israel. That, that, that compromises the very foundation of our faith. If our God can break promises, we are all in a host of trouble. And, and so Paul says that, that when your mind begins to go there, and, and we've all been there, right? God's not holding up His end of the bargain. God's not being faithful to me. God's not doing what he said. And Paul sets a good example here. Just tell yourself, stop it. Don't think that way. Don't go there. Because God is always faithful. And then he goes on to to detail God's plan for the ages and the fact that God has not failed by, by describing four stages in God's plan for the ages. And so the first stage is is that Israel transgressed. So so he says there in in verse uh, 11, by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles. So he says that Israel had rejected Christ. I think it's probably helpful for us 
to, to just illustrate this by, by going over to Acts chapter 13. So keep your finger here. We'll be back in Romans chapter 11. But I want to look at a, just a fascinating account in Acts chapter 13. So, so this is on Paul's first missionary journey. He has just begun his mission of taking the gospel to the world. And, and, like, and he's now in the city of Pisidian Antioch, preaching the gospel. In fact, he, he goes to a Jewish synagogue there in, in, in Pisidian Antioch, and, and uh, most of Acts chapter 13 is the sermon that he preaches in that synagogue. And then notice the response in verses 42 to 52. It says, Acts 13 verse 42, as Paul and Barnabas were going out of the synagogue, the people kept begging that these things might be spoken to them the next Sabbath. Now when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and of the God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them were urging them to continue in the grace of God. That's good. And then it says, the next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. I mean, just think about that. God's doing something incredible. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us. I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust of their feet and protested against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So, so it's quite a scene here. And God is at work. People are getting saved. But, but the Jews, I mean, they, they don't just say no to the gospel. And they are harshly resisting the, the work of God. You know, they're interrupting Paul while he's trying to preach. And they're blaspheming God. They are so angry about what he is saying. And, and, and Paul, he's not going to take it, right? He rebukes them. He, he stands up to them and, and prophetically speaks and, and, and says, we are done with you. We are turning to the Gentiles. And that God works in the Gentiles. God does a mighty work. And a lot, I mean, it says there that the whole region was hearing about Christ. And, and so that story, of course, is repeated several times in the book of Acts and probably lots of other times that we, don't know, we know nothing about. The Jews harshly resisted Christ. But Paul didn't moan and groan and quit preaching. He just kept telling the gospel. And, and so don't you stop preaching the gospel either. You know, you know we, we as Americans, we are pretty addicted to success. And if something doesn't work within five seconds, we think we've got to start with something else. Change what we're doing. Fix it right now. But Paul, he just kept preaching. And, and he kept, just kept telling people the truth of God. So, so be like Paul. I mean, stand up to sin. Resist it. Tell, call it what it is. Then pursue sinners with the hope of Christ believing that, that God's going to save people. 
Now, now you might share the gospel with your neighbor and he might act like these Jewish people here. Laugh at you, scoff you, tell you to get out of his face. But if you keep sharing the gospel, God is going to work. God is going to save people. So, 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 so share the gospel. Preach about Christ. And that's what Paul did. So, so he calls out Israel's evil, and then he pursued those who would listen. And that brings us to the second stage here, which is that God is blessing the nations. Now you see that here in Acts chapter 13. In verse 49 says, The word of the Lord was being spread throughout the whole region. And just think about that. Now we're not talking about five or six people getting saved. I mean, we are talking about massive conversions to Christ. And the Jews were so hostile, but they could not stop the advance of the gospel. Now, God instead used them to redirect Paul to the Gentiles and to begin an amazing work. I mean, verse 52 says that the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. And returning to Acts chapter 11, our text says that salvation has come to the Gentiles. You know, and, and praise God that, that the spread of the gospel has only grown. Like, you know, we live in the West. Now, I don't really just even mean like Western United States. The, the West, Western culture. And we tend to think that we are the only people on the planet. You know, so we look at American church attendance declining and look at places like Europe and, and we assume that Christianity is dying. I don't have like any statistics necessarily to back this up. But, but I, you know, based on my understanding of what God is doing all over the world, more people are getting saved today than at any time in world history. I mean, the church is exploding in places like China and, and, and other parts of the world that are very hostile to the gospel. The gospel is not dying. The gospel is spreading all over the place. And so understand that, that there is nothing that any politicians in Sacramento, Washington, or any activist somewhere can do to stop the spread of the gospel. They can't stop it. The harvest is plentiful, Jesus said. God is working among us. And God can use you to spread the gospel of Christ if you will embrace His passion. So God is at work. And his, his plan for this age, the most important thing that is happening in the world today, is that the gospel is going to the nations. People are getting saved. Churches are being established. Gospel lights are going up. So, so believe in that. Spread the gospel. Preach the gospel. God is fulfilling His plan. Join the party. And God says that that will lead to a third stage in God's plan, which is that some Jews will become jealous and believe. So He says at the end of verse 11 in our text, that, that one of the purposes behind the spread of the gospel among the Gentiles is to make the Jews jealous. Now, any modern-day Jew ought to be able to look at their local synagogue and then look at the churches in town and see that God is doing a whole lot more in the Christian church than, than He is doing in Judaism. Now, now, in the present, God doesn't say that that is going to lead to a mass conversion of Jews. You know, God never says that, you know, we're going to wake up one day and, you know, half of Brooklyn is, is saved. That, that's not what God is, is, is saying is going to happen right now. But, but Paul is hopeful 
That, that, that some of the Jews will see what God is doing in the church. See the power of the gospel, the, the grace of God among God's people, and that some of them will, will turn to Christ. And, and so Paul didn't give up on his people. That, that hope inspired him. He loved the Jews. And he wanted them to, to see the power of God and be saved. You know, and that, I, mean, just, I mean, just think about all that Paul endured during his missionary journeys at the hands of the Jews. I mean, they, they stir up, you know, when he goes to Macedonia, I mean, the Jews drive him out of Philippi, Berea, and Thessalonica. I mean, everywhere he goes, they're hostile towards him. But, but that didn't stop Paul from preaching the gospel to them. He didn't believe that anyone was beyond the reach of God's grace. He, he loved sinners and wanted them to be saved. So, you know, don't, don't turn your back on that person who, who has sharply resisted your efforts to reach him for Christ. Keep praying that God will save him. Keep sharing the gospel. Keep being a witness. Keep hoping in what God can do. Because Paul did not give up on his people. And then, finally, the fourth stage, uh, and the climactic stage in God's plan, is that God will fulfill every promise to Israel. So he says in verse 12 of our text, Now if their transgression is riches for the world, and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? Now, Now what Paul does here is he makes a classic argument from the lesser to the greater. So, so the idea, the, the argument would be, that Israel's transgression, their, their sin, their, their rejection of Christ had caused the establishment of the church. And, and so if their sin leads to the establishment of the church, he says, imagine what kind of great work God will do when they are saved, when, when God fulfills His promises to them. So, so, so what Paul wants to make clear here is that God is not done with the nation of Israel. He will be faithful to them. He will fulfill every promise. And we believe that that someday Christ is going to rapture the church. The tribulation, the seven-year tribulation will take place. And then after that tribulation, Christ is going to return to the earth in glory. And Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10 says that when Jesus comes back, He's going to stand before the Jewish people and He says there, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplication, so that they will look on me whom they have pierced, and they will mourn for him. Now, just a little, little side note. I mean, look on him whom they pierced. Zechariah. Zechariah is writing 500 years before the Gospels are written. And yet, he prophesies accurately that the Messiah will be pierced, something that the Jews did not expect. And so they're going to look on the one whom they pierced. And what's it say? It says, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son, and they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping of a firstborn. So Jesus someday is going to stand before the Jewish people when he comes back the second time. He's going to show them his hands, his side, and they are going to see this is our Messiah. And they will repent. They will believe on Him. Romans 11 verse 26 says that all Israel will be saved. So the whole nation is going to turn to Christ and believe on Him. 
So, so no amount of hardness can resist God's sovereign will. God is going to gloriously save the Jews someday. And Christ is going to establish His kingdom. Now, I wish we had time to read in Zechariah 13 and 14 about the, the glorious kingdom that God, Christ is going to give. I mean, the Jews are going to believe on Christ and then, and then Christ is going to bind Satan. He's going to set up His throne from Jerusalem on the throne of David. He's going to rule over the world. He's going to bring blessing to all people. And that's going to bring blessing to us as well. The Bible says that we will rule and reign alongside Jesus. We're going to enjoy every beauty of of what He has done and made. So, So verses 11 and 12 declare that God has a plan for the ages. God is at work. And He has a marvelous plan. So so you might look at our world today. You might look at your very narrow uh, puzzle piece of your life and your family and just scratch your head. And and in the broader picture, I mean, the the immediate application here is, why why are so many Jews so hostile to the Word of God? Why? Why does our government continue to suppress such an evil agenda? And, And why do people keep electing those same people? Why does the American church, why does American church attendance continue to decline? Where is God? What is God doing in the world? Well, just remember that just because you can't see the point of a single puzzle piece, like it just kind of looks fuzzy and weird and random, doesn't mean that it doesn't have a purpose, that it doesn't fit within the plan of God. I mean, God tells us how the story ends. We know where all of this is going. And so trust Him. Believe that He is going to accomplish His will. Don't be discouraged. Make an impact in someone's life for Christ. Be bold in your convictions. And trust that God is going to put all the pieces together. And in the end, it will be a glorious display of His grace and wonder. And in light of that, Verses 13 and 14 then develop Paul's passion for the lost. Now now here in verses 13 and 14, Paul makes a really important transition that that we all need to make. So, and that is, is that he just reflected on the big picture of God's purpose. You know, where is history going? But but he refused to be so heavenly minded that that he was no earthly good. So, So he applies what he knows about the big picture to his small puzzle piece. He thinks about what should I be doing right now based on God's overall purpose. And he identifies two priorities for his life. What what do I need to do based on what God is doing in the world? So first of all, Paul labored to reach the Gentiles. He said, you know, in light of what God's doing, I am going to give my energy to reaching the Gentiles. He says in verse 13, but I am speaking to you who are Gentiles inasmuch then as I am an apostle of Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. And so Paul says that, that he magnifies his ministry to the Gentiles. What, what does that mean? Well, well, following Paul's conversion, God told Ananias about Paul. He said that he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. So so God, from from the moment he was converted, God called Paul to establish the Gentile church. It was his job to begin the spread of the gospel 
and to establish Gentile churches from which the gospel would grow to the ends of the earth. So Paul says, I magnify my ministry. And he was a Jew. You know, traveling among the Gentiles was probably really weird and awkward for Paul. I mean, think about if you, you know, think about, I don't know how, Paul, how old Paul was, but imagine if you had spent 35 years of your life eating kosher food. And then you sit down at a Gentile table and they put a piece of ham in front of you. It's awkward. But, but Paul embraced his ministry, what God had called him to do. And, um, and, and so he, he worked hard to, to, to reach people for Christ, to make a difference. And he wanted the Romans to see just how important that ministry is. He says, I magnify my ministry in the sense that I want you to understand that this Gentile mission is vital to the purpose of God. It is central to God's plan for the ages. Now, I recognize that no one in this room is the Apostle Paul. And God hasn't called most of you into vocational ministry. God hasn't called most of you to be cross-cultural missionaries. But like Paul, I think it's important that we just slow down here and magnify the Gentile mission. And God has called us as a church, God has called every Christian in this room to participate in the Great Commission, God's mission to take the gospel to the nations. It is the most important thing happening in the world today. The most important thing anywhere in the world. There is nothing in the world more beautiful to God than, than a local church which is a gospel light, making disciples, spreading the fame of Jesus to the nations. And we get to participate. I mean, if you are in Christ, you get to be involved in the most important work in the world. And I hope you see just how great of a privilege that is. It's wonderful. And I hope that you are all in on that mission. Don't build your life around making money, having a good time, doing this thing over here, and then just... If there's a little bit of time, I'll kind of slip some great commission in there so I feel good about myself. No, make it a priority, a a driving passion to everything that you do. And that's what Paul did. He gave all his passion and all of his strength to reaching the Gentiles. But at the same time, he adds, that he never lost sight of his own people. And Paul prayed that his Gentile mission would impact the Jews. Look at what he says in verse 14. It says, he, he does all this. He magnifies his ministry. If somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. Now, now Paul already mentioned that idea in verse 11. And even though he boldly denounced the rebellion of the Jews at Pisidian Antioch, even though he shook the dust off of his feet there, he, he didn't give up on the Jewish people. He prayed and he labored in hope that some of them would come to Christ. And I think in the process, he sets a good example for how we should respond to the evils of our state and the evils of our nation. Now, now Paul, he never sugarcoated rebellion against God, right? I mean, he, he called out the Jews' sin. And similarly, we should never dismiss or grow accustomed when people are, 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 are committing high-handed rebellion against God. It should anger you. 
when people are pressing an agenda that is hostile to the truth of God. And and so we ought to be clear that, that so much of what happens in our politics is evil rebellion against God. There's no question about that. But at the same time, if disgust, anger, and apathy are your only response to those things, to your only response to the leaders who, who push those things and the people who elect them, then you have a worldly heart. I mean, if, if your only response to our state is, I hate this stupid place, then you don't have the heart of God. You don't have the heart of God. And God loves sinners. And a a Christian's heart is always to reach people for Christ. So so a mature believer must hold in a healthy tension a a hatred of sin with a passionate zeal for the lost and a strong confidence that God can save anyone. And so we work, we labor, we strive with, with vision and faith in the power and the strength of God. I think another application of verse 14 that, 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 we, that is worth mentioning is, is that a verse like this leaves us with no room as Christians for something like anti-Semitism. You know, sadly, you know, a lot of times, anti-Semitism, neo-Nazism, and other things like that have, have tried to snuggle up against so-called forms of Christianity. But Paul is very clear here that Christians should love the Jewish people. And we should be passionate for their salvation. So you have my permission. You don't need my permission, but you have my permission to to just call out any of that kind of nonsense. You know, God loves the people of of Israel. They are His chosen people to this day. Paul was passionate for their salvation, and we should as well. And we'll probably say more about that as we go in the next few weeks. So so if you share God's heart, you you will have nothing but gospel love for his people. So so verses 13 and 14 describe Paul's passion for the lost. And then finally, verses 15 and 16 articulate Paul's confidence in God's power to revive. Now now verse 15, well, well let's read verses 15 and 16. It says, for if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the first piece of dough is holy, the lump is also. And if the root is holy, the branches are too. Now, now Paul here makes an argument very similar to what he did earlier in verse 12. So, so remember that verse 12 said that God is going to fulfill all his promises to Israel. And we talked about the fact that considering the, the Old Testament prophecies for Israel, that is a massive hope. And God gives incredible promises to Israel in the Old Testament. And if you're Paul, it probably sounds almost too good to be true. Because here's Paul, and he's looking around at the world around him. The Jewish people are under Roman occupation. A lot of them are scattered all over the world. And and they're weak, they're small. And so if you look at at Paul's world, and most of them had, had rejected Jesus... So, so in Paul's day and in our day, they are a long way from the spiritual and political power that Zechariah promises. And from a human perspective, it looks impossible. And it does today as well, right? I mean, you look at that. I mean, it, it's hard to imagine 
You know, Jerusalem being the center of the world and, and Christ reigning from there. So should Paul just give up on that hope? Move on with life, do his own thing. And what do we do when the hope of eternity and all of God's other promises seem like a distant dream? Well, Paul does not give up. Instead, he anchors his mind and he motivates himself for mission in, in two proofs that God will do what he said. And the first proof that he finds is the success of the Gentile mission. So, so, so he says in, in verse 15, well, he says, therefore, if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be? But life from the dead. Now, no, when he mentions the reconciliation of the world, he's not saying that the world's all going to come together and sing Kumbaya. We're all just going to get along, be happy, world peace, at least in this age. And of course, he also isn't saying there that, that all the world is going to be saved. He's made that very clear earlier in the book of Romans. But he could see that, that, that the gospel was spreading among people. He's talking here about his confidence that the gospel will go forward. And, and so Paul could look out at the world around him and, and he could see that the church was spreading, that, that churches were popping up everywhere. They were spreading the gospel. They were growing. Now, the gospel still had a long ways to go in Paul's life. In fact, and Paul had no idea, really, probably, how big the world really is. And no, probably, he didn't have the same concept that we did of what it means when Jesus said that the gospel needed to go to the ends of the earth. But, but he could see that God was at work. And he knew that Jesus intended for the gospel to go to all the world. And so by faith, he saw where the Gentile mission was going. And that evidence reassured him that God will also give Israel life from the dead. I believe that, that Paul here is drawing on an analogy from Ezekiel chapter 37. And Ezekiel, like Paul, lived in a very dark time. He, he prophesied from the Babylonian captivity. Maybe the darkest time in Israel's history. And Israel looked dead, and so God shows Ezekiel a vision of a valley full of dry bones. And so, it's not just that these bones are dead, but still kind of filled with some flesh and a little bit of juice and marrow and blood. They're dried out bones. They've been dead for a long time. And so you look at these, this valley of dread of dry bones, and you think there's no way those things could ever come to life. But in this vision, God gives life to these dry bones. And so they begin to move. It's kind of an interesting picture to imagine. They begin to move a little bit, and flesh starts to grow to, to bind these bones together. And before long, they're, they're walking around. They're alive. And God says He's going to do the same for the nation of Israel. So Ezekiel chapter uh, 37, verses 11 through 14, God says to, to Ezekiel, He says, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are completely cut off. So it looked bad, right? Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves, my people. And I will bring you into the land of Israel. And then he says, I will put my spirit within you and you will come to life and I will place you on your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and done it. 
You know, God says the day is coming that he is going to resurrect a nation. I mean, practically speaking today, Israel is spiritually dead. But, but the day is coming that he is going to give them spiritual life. And he's going to give them a kingdom. And he's going to fulfill every promise. And when God does that, Paul's, Paul's drawing the implication here that it won't just bless Israel. That's going to bless the entire earth. Hey, Christ is going to change everything. So imagine the best life that you can imagine. And understand that someday, when Christ establishes His kingdom, life in the kingdom will blow away. The best life you could live here. God is going to do something incredible. And so Paul looks at the Gentile mission and says, you know, if God can do this with a dead Israel, think about what He's going to do with a live Israel. He's going to bless the world. So do you believe that's going to happen? Do you believe in an eternal hope? Does it show in in how you live? How you set your priorities? Paul believed that Christ is coming again. And he believed that God is going to do everything he promised. And it changed his life. It changed his passion. It changed his mission. So, So will you share the gospel, make disciples, set the priorities of your life like you believe that God is winning? I hope that you will. And then the second proof he uh, he cites here is God's covenant with the patriarch. So so verse 16 says, if the first piece of dough is holy, the lump is also, and if the root is holy, the branches are too. Now, this is a hard verse, all right? Complicated verse. And uh, we don't have time uh, to, to get into the weeds with it today. So for today, I'm just going to tell you, and and we'll develop this next time, that the first piece of dough and the root here are references to Abraham. So so God gave the covenant to Abraham. He gave the salvific promises to him, said that, that he would make a people of him, and that from those people he would bless all the nations of the earth. And Paul is saying that the fruit of that promise remains. The root, Abraham, is holy. Therefore, the branches are too. So he's saying that Israel still belongs to God. He's not going to abandon his people. So so what did Paul do when he was crushed by Israel's apostasy? He anchored his soul in the character and promises of God. He didn't just kind of give himself a little pep talk, feel a little better about himself. No, no, he anchored his mind in a rich understanding of biblical theology, the truth of Scripture, the character and promises of God. He fought falsehood with rich truth. And then based on that truth, he looked forward with hope at what God was going to do. And that hope inspired him to work, to press forward. So what should you do when the puzzle piece in your hand seems meaningless? How should we respond when the world around us seems hopelessly hostile to the work of the gospel? What prospects should should we have for the spread of the gospel? You know, and a couple weeks ago we, we learned about the country of Tajikistan. Seems impossible, right? That the gospel would work there. You might have the same thoughts about our nation or our state. Well, well, the answer is, is that we should have great hope. Because we serve a great God. 
And our God has a great plan. And He will accomplish His plan. So, so marvel at God's plan for the ages. There is nothing random taking place. God is at work today in, 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 in pursuit of, of a perfect plan for all of eternity. So marvel at His plan. Believe that, that He is faithful. Look forward to the day that God fulfills every promise. And then don't just sit there and stare up. Get busy. Spread the gospel. Make disciples. Build His church. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word. And thank You for the confidence it gives us as, as we look at our world, as we look at all that is taking place. And oh Lord, I pray that, that we would trust in what Your Word says. That Lord, we would trust every promise of Your Word. And that Lord, we would hope in eternity. And, and Father, I pray that with that hope, that You would fill us all with the same gospel zeal that Paul had. Lord, use us this week to share Christ, to make an impact for eternity. God, use us to reach the lost, to glorify Your name, and to see disciples transformed into the image of Your Son. Lord, we need You. We need Your help. And so give us eyes to see, give us faith to believe, and help us to press forward. In Jesus' name, amen.